That's good. Thank you so much. Be turn your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 12. Mark, chapter 12. This evening, Lord willing, I'm going to be bringing a message on the tragedy of unbelief. The tragedy of unbelief, and I guess I could add to that among believers. The tragedy of unbelief among believers. I want you to notice, beginning in Mark chapter 12, verse 18. Then cometh unto him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection... And they ask him, saying, by the way, if you ever have trouble knowing the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection, so they were fair, you see. And the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, so they were sad, you see. Now that'll stick with you forever when you forget everything else that's important. You'll remember that silly little statement. Anyway. Master, Moses wrote unto us, If a man's brother die and leave his wife behind him and leave no children, and his brother should take his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were seven brethren, and the first took a wife. This is one of the silliest stories in the scripture, made up by a bunch of religious kooks known as Sadducees. Now there were seven brethren, and the first took a wife, and dying left no seed, and the second took her and died, neither left he any seed. And the third, likewise, and the seven had her and left no seed. Last of all, the woman died also in the resurrection, therefore. When they shall rise, whose wife shall she be of them? For the seven had her to wife. And Jesus answering said unto them, Do ye not therefore err, because ye know not the Scriptures, neither the power of God? For when they shall rise from the dead... They neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven. And as touching the dead that they rise, have ye not read in the book of Moses how in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Ye therefore do err, or do greatly err. I want to preach when ignorance is deadly. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I pray again this morning for the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. I pray it empower me. Take the words of God deep into hearts, convict of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. For those without Christ, that they'd see their need for the Son of God... And for the saved that are not living for you, serving you, making their life count for you, convict their hearts as well. And Lord, we'll thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I know a good number of you are familiar with the website Snopes.com. Now, Snopes.com used to be known, by the way, as the Urban Legends Reference Pages. It's supposed to be another one of those fact-checking sites. Have you ever noticed how a lot of these fact-checking sites are just as goofy as everything else. You can't count on them. A lot of the fact-checkers don't tell the truth. You've got to have a fact-checker. A fact-checker fact for the fact-checkers. That's what it gets down to. But anyway, what they did was they would check out urban legends, supposedly, and find out if they really were a legend or if there was some truth to them. 
Uh, like, for instance, about the couple that stopped uh, uh, for some reason, they stopped to get some fried chicken, and so they got a nice bucket of fried chicken. I'm not saying from where. Um, and the woman looked down in it and started complaining because inside her bucket of fried chicken was a fried rat. Or the store, oh, yeah, really. Uh, <laughs> the man who saw an ad in the paper for a brand new Porsche for only $50, he thought, man, something like that, they said 5000 that had been a tremendous bargain. But before he was going to make the trip over to see it, he decided he would call. And he talked to the woman of the home, and she said, yes, the Porsche is for sale for, for $50. And he said, do you mind if I come over and drive it? She said, no, that's fine. He went over and drove it. And boy, it was wonderful. It was brand spanking new. It had all the energy, all the power, all that kind of stuff. And uh, so he paid her the $50. And he said, why is this so cheap? And she said, well, my husband ran off with the secretary four days ago. He left a note to sell the Porsche and send him the money. (laughs) And of course, you've heard the story of the vanishing hitchhiker which, by the way, came from an old Twilight Zone episode. You've probably at least heard one of the stories that I mentioned, but all of them are not true. They're just urban legends. None of those things happen. As far as I know, no wife sold a Porsche for 50 bucks. Didn't take place. But, you know, Snopes doesn't get right all the time. I, uh, there's an illustration I've given a few times about a man by the name of Richard Harvey, who went to Allegheny College back in the early part of the 1900s, and they had an atheist teacher at that college who didn't believe in God, and he didn't want his students to believe in God. He spent the first three days of his science class mocking God and people who believed in God and believed in a prayer-answering God. And then he would get up after three days of that, and he would hold up a beaker from the lab, a glass beaker, and he would say, if any of you want to pray and ask your God to uh, not let the beaker to break, uh, you've got your time right now, you can pray, but I'm going to drop this beaker. And for several years, 16, 20 years, something like that, he had dropped that beaker and it had broke. Well, that year, now it's not Richard uh, Harvey that prayed, it was another student, he was there among the group. Uh, He held it up. The young man said, I'll pray. And he prayed that the beaker wouldn't break. And the teacher dropped it. But as he was pulling his hand away, evidently the sweat to his hand uh, stuck to the glass. So he pulled it in toward his body. The beaker fell, hit him on the foot and rolled off unbroken. And of course, the uh, entire class mocked it. Well, check it out on Snopes. And they say, well, there's several variations of that story. There's the variation of dropping a chalk or dropping a glass or dropping a beaker, but they couldn't find anywhere where it was true. And yet I've got the book, 70 Years of Miracles, by this man, Richard Harvey, who ended up being a Pentecostal preacher. His dad had been a Pentecostal preacher. He, was, he did not start out to go into the ministry at all, but he did go to Allegheny College where that teacher, a Dr. Lee, did that very thing. And he was there when the thing didn't break. And so Snopes doesn't always get it right. You can't believe half the stuff that's on the Internet. Just important for you to get that. But, you know, a lot of people believe those the urban legends. I'm having trouble getting these things out here today. Uh, Some of them would be easily verifiable. Some would not. 
What's amazing in the, no, the number of things that are said supposedly that come from the Bible. Like, for instance, God helps those who help themselves. Some people think they're being very spiritual by quoting that old saying. It has nothing to do with the Bible. It's not in the book. Uh, people said, well, you know, we Christians, we believe man is basically good. No, we true Christians don't. We believe man is basically evil. For God says we've all sinned. There's no difference. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, I've heard people say, well, you know the Bible, it's full of errors. Well, the Bible's not full of errors. If people say something like that, they heard somebody else say it, they want it to be full of errors because they don't like its message. They're hoping it's full of errors and it's easier for them to believe that it is full of errors. Uh, then they can talk themselves out of the reality that they're going to have to stand before God one day. And you've got, like the saying, the true meaning of, Christi uh, of Christmas is togetherness. No, that's not the true meaning of Christmas at all. Kind of reminds me when my sister went to a Methodist church several years ago. Uh, she wrote me a note that said, uh, at our church on Christmas, what we did was the pastor got up and he preached the true meaning of Christmas. And then we had Santa Claus come in and give toys to the kids. People say a lot of really dumb things. Here we are, we live in the Bible Belt, and we are inundated with Bible ignorance galore. I don't know how they ever figured out this was the Bible Belt. I, I'd like to know who came up with that term, because there was so much Bible ignorance. And you know what's interesting about that, with all the wrong things that are said... There are enough Bibles in this country for every man, woman, boy, or girl to have a copy. And many of our homes have got several copies, but having a copy doesn't guarantee that you know what's in it. I'm reminded of a fellow that called me probably about five or six, seven years ago, something like that. And he called me. He had attended our church for a while. Evidently, he was dating some gal that was having trouble with demons. And so he went out to a Christian bookstore, bought several copies of the Bible and put it in every room so that they'd not be troubled with demons. Well, I got news for you. A closed Bible doesn't scare the devil at all. It doesn't run him off. The Bible says, submit yourself therefore unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. For people who don't submit themselves to God, I'm sorry, you can get any kind of Christian symbol you want. It's not going to scare the devil away. Now, that's just reality. By the way, when it comes to, <laughs> because some people say some of the dumbest things, like for instance, uh, people, remember when they do capital punishment? All the time, every time capital punishment is done, somebody is outside the prison holding up a sign saying, thou shalt not kill. And the truth is that sign ought to be for the murderer who's being executed because God does give the government the responsibility to put people to death who commit a capital crime. Just read Romans chapter 12 or chapter 13, the first few verses. The Bible's very, very plain. Or someone will come along when you take a stand against anything, against nudity, against immodesty, against drinking, and they'll come along and say, well, the Bible says, judge not that you be not judged. Yes, it does in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1. But don't stop reading there. Read through those first five verses of Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking to the hypocrite. Amazing how these hypocrites want to 
half-quote a Bible verse when they don't obey any of it that they understand. Anyway, this gets kind of pointy. You got too quiet on me. You worry me this morning. But that type of Bible ignorance has gone on really for years. And there are basically three reasons for Bible ignorance. One is people are simply unconverted. Bible says, for the natural man receiveth not the things concerning the Spirit of God, for their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. The second reason people are biblically ignorant is because they don't study it. I mean, study it in context. The Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And then the third reason is what it says doesn't fit what they want to believe. By the way, that was the problem in the passage that we just read. According to the book of Acts, the Sadducees not only did not believe in a resurrection, they did not believe in miracles, and they did not believe in spirits. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe any of that. And so they had come up with this cute little story that is so ridiculous. I doubt there's ever been a family of seven brothers who could have been so absolutely naive and dumb to have their first four brothers die after marrying this particular gal and saying, I'm going to go say I do as well. Like, I'll be the one to break the spell. Well, it doesn't happen. It's a dumb thing. But they thought it was so ridiculous that it would obviously prove that there can be no resurrection at all. Whose wife shall she be in the resurrected? Jesus tells him, you know, not the scripture. You do err, not knowing the scripture, nor the power of God. This story, by the way, is also given for us in Matthew 22, verses 23 through 33. And then he lets him know that God is not the God of the dead, but the living. And he goes to the book of Moses, the books of Moses, to prove that. He goes to the Pentateuch, where God said, I am the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. He did not say, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why? They're still alive. They still exist. God is the God of the living. Just like you take Pastor Russell Davis, God still is God. I can name a bunch of Christians that I've known. God's still their God. He doesn't die. But I want to deal with this matter and the story about uh, this Bible ignorance. Now, first of all, for lost people. And they'll say a number of things like this. The Bible was written by man. Well, no, it wasn't. The Bible was written by God. Not to say that a man didn't have the pen in his hand, but you understand 2 Thessalonians or 2 Timothy chapter 3, the scripture says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, righteousness. There is one Greek word that is translated by inspiration of God. It is the word theopneustia in the Greek. Aren't I smart? I got it right, and most of you wouldn't know it anyway. I could have said any word, and you would have just had to believe me for a time being. But it means, literally, God breathed. God breathed in those writers, the ones with the pen in their hand. God breathed the word of God into them. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, he says, Now no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, 
But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The scripture says, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. You understand this is God's book. It is not man's book. And by the way, it being God's book is the only way you can explain the fact that there has not been anything in this book that has needed to be revised at any time that it was true the first time it was given and always is. You take any science book that we have in libraries today and I'll guarantee you they're going to be revised in the next few years. But no revision needed because this is God's book. And these people that wrote it, some 40 different authors moved by the Holy Ghost to put down what God already had down in heaven. It is the eternal word of the living God. And then when they make that statement, well, don't you know that there are errors in the scripture? Of course, when somebody says that to me, I always say, show me one. There you go. Show me. Well, I I don't know where they're at. I just know that they're errors. And you don't know any such thing. You're just being a dummy. You're simply parroting back what somebody else has said to you and you want to believe it because you don't want it to be right. If it's right all the way through, then no doubt that person's probably in trouble, means they're probably not even saved. Jesus said in John 17, 17, thy word is truth. The psalmist said, thy word is true from the beginning and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. We have a book true from beginning to end. Somebody said, I believe the Bible from cover to cover. I even believe the cover. It says Holy Bible. Amen. It is holy. Uh, Then someone else will say, well, I just don't understand how a loving God can send people to hell. Well, that's because you got your definition of love from Hollywood. People don't have any clue what the word love means when referring to God because we love popcorn. We love popcorn. We love our car. We love our dog. We love all kinds of things. The way we use it, we don't have a clue what the word love means. I got news for you. God's definition of love is not found in Hollywood. They don't have a clue what it is. But you understand that that quote, God is love, comes from 1 John chapter 4. But that's not the only place in the Bible where we have a quote about what God is. We have the quote that God is holy. God is just. God is righteous. God is a jealous God. God is merciful. God is gracious. Now you see, God being the eternal God, all of those things are found in him and they all fit together in the person of the true and living God. So he's not only loved, he's holy. And if you don't understand he's holy, you're never going to appreciate how much he had to love you to put his son on the cross of Calvary to die in your place because you see the holy God. The question's not how can a loving God send people to hell? It's how can a holy God take people to heaven? And he can only do it through the sacrifice of his son at Calvary. It's interesting in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3, that we find that um, Isaiah got a vision of heaven and God sitting upon his throne. And there are angels flying around the throne of God and the cry in their lips is holy, holy, 
holy is the Lord God Almighty. 800 years later in the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, John gets a vision of heaven. Guess what? Still flying around those, that, the throne of God are those angels. And the cry on their lips is still, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. What a powerful statement. In heaven, they don't cry out about the love of God. They cry out about the holiness of God. He is a holy God, first of all. That's why Romans 1.18 declares, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now, God puts those things together for us in a number of places in the scripture. For instance, when he says in Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, he says, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, and yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What love that he would put his son on the cross of Calvary to die for hell deserving sinners so that he could offer salvation to all who would receive his son. If you die and go to hell, it won't be God's fault. It'll be your fault because you rejected his payment for your sin. The wages of sin is death. Jesus is the one man who walked on the planet who didn't deserve to die because he knew no sin. But when God put our sin upon him, then he had to die as the sacrifice for our sin. So yes, he paid for the sin, but you must receive him as your savior in order to go to heaven. Well, I've heard people say this. Well, preacher, I only believe the words of Jesus. And we've got, we've got Bibles, by the way, to make that easier for us to believe the words of Jesus. Uh, how many here have a red-letter edition of the Bible? Oh, a bunch of you have got one. Okay, let's see if I've got... No, I don't. Um, now, my, uh, mine are red, too. But I spelled R-E-A-D instead of R-E-D, all right? I've read it over and over and over again. Uh, I, I only believe the words of Jesus, all right? How about this word of Jesus? Jesus said in John 3, 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In John 3, 5, he said, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not, I said unto thee, ye must be born Again, you can't get to heaven without being born again. That's what Jesus said, and he knows. In John 3 and uh, 13, verses 3 and 5, he says, I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Jesus said in Matthew 25, 41, Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Jesus is speaking, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And the truth is, Jesus is the one who said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17, think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I came not to destroy but to fulfill. 
Jesus believed all of the Word of God. He fulfilled the Word of God. You got to believe, if you believe everything Jesus said, everything that's in red, then you got to believe all of this that's in black too because he believed it all. Jonah and the whale, Jesus treated it as a true story. Not a parable, not some figment of an imagination of an overzealous biblical writing writer. He believed it. He believed the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. You understand? Jesus believed the Bible. Just go to the words that are in red and you got to believe it all because he did believe it all. Then somebody will speak up and say, well, I don't think that there's really a hell. Well, now you're calling Jesus a liar because he said there is one. Tells a story about a man that went to hell and he was in great torment. Jesus never called it a parable. It's a true story. He taught the judgment that takes place when you go to hell. Nobody can get to you to help you and nobody can get you out and you can't get out. You can't leave. Man, you're done. That's it. And Jesus, by the way, is the one who was quoted in Romans, our Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8, but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Dear friend, there is judgment, torment throughout eternity for those who die without Jesus Christ. Now you can say, well, I don't believe in it. Well, that's fine, but that's where you'll end up going if you don't turn to Jesus and get saved. You can say, I don't believe that wall is right there. Go ahead and try to walk through it. See how far you get. Matter of fact, we don't have wooden studs in that wall. We have metal studs in that wall. You won't get far at all. Doesn't make a difference how much you don't believe it. That doesn't change the reality of it. And hell is still a place where people burn throughout eternity. I've heard people say, well, preacher, when I feel it, you see, it's just not my time to get saved. It's not what the scripture says. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, he says, behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. You know, the scripture doesn't say anything about feeling anything. What it does say that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It has absolutely nothing to do with what you feel, it has everything to do with what you know. And what you know for truth is found right here in the Word of God. He tells us, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. This is a sure thing. The reason I pick Psalm 119, 128 to be my life's verse is because that's where I stand. I'm not moving from it. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. Well, what way is a false way? Any way that's contrary to this book. Whatever God says about anything, he's right about. Well, then someone else says, but preacher, there are hypocrites in the church. And your point is what? What do you mean there's... Hypocrites. Are you going to sit in judgment on which ones are and which ones aren't? 
I know this from the scripture, that there is no believer who's perfect. And anybody that says they're perfect, even Job said, who God did call perfect, by the way. In chapter 1 of the book of Job, he says, if I say that I am perfect, it shall also prove me perverse. That's what Job said about himself. He wouldn't call himself perfect. If you're thinking you're perfect, then you've got a major problem in and of yourself already. The truth is, I don't know any Christian in any church anywhere who is perfect because that's coming. It's not now. Nevertheless, the scripture says, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. When you stand before God, you're not going to give an account for the hypocrites. You're going to give an account for you. And the very fact that you think that somehow you are big enough in the eyes of God that you get to judge who's a hypocrite and who isn't, I'm sorry, God didn't give that authority to you. You're not the hypocrite police, and you're a hypocrite for thinking you are. How about this one? Well, preacher, I'm just good enough. No, you're not. Bible declares in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, he says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Ecclesiastes 7.20, there's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. So you're not good enough. As a matter of fact, Romans 8.8 8 declares, uh, so that they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Why? We're sinners. As sinners, no hope for heaven unless we go the way that God has provided. And that way is Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Well, I've had people say this, and I'm sure most any soul winners had folks say this to you. They've said, well, um, when I can live it, I'll get saved. But you can't live it. You got that? There's a battle. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live within. And the Bible says the flesh, that's this, lusteth, the idea is wars, but lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Now, the reality is you can't live good enough. You can't be good enough. And if you're going to wait till you're good enough to get to heaven, you'll die lost and burn in hell. Please understand it. Well, I plan on changing my ways later. Too late. You're guilty. You've broken God's word. You're already guilty. And the only way you can get that taken care of is through the blood of Christ. For the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Well, preacher, I've been baptized. Wonderful. But baptism doesn't save anybody. Baptism doesn't take your sins away. As a matter of fact, that. Keep your hand here. You've been listening to me quote a bunch of scripture, but go over to uh, uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Get that blood flowing in the hand again. 1 Peter chapter 3. Giving you a lot of Bible verses here. I'm just telling you what the scripture says. Notice he says the like figure. Underline that. I'll come back to it. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. And then underline, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, 
but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, it gives the idea of a like figure. What's that? There's a figure. There's a picture. Adam is called a figure of Christ in Romans chapter 5 and verse 14. Here we have baptism as a like figure. It is a picture of salvation. What is that? Well, the Bible says that as many of us as were baptized, were baptized unto his death, that like as Christ was raised up by the glory of the Father, even so we all should, should walk in newness of life. When a person stands in the baptistry or in the water, in the lake, wherever, they picture Jesus standing on the cross dying for their sin. When they're put under the water, they picture his burial. When they're brought up out of the water, they picture his resurrection. But then he makes it plain, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. This doesn't take care of your sin. It is a picture of what God did for your salvation. And then he even goes on to say, the answer of a good conscience toward God. Why? Because that's what Jesus commanded the disciples to do when they led people to Christ. And so it says, for instance, in Acts chapter 10 and verse 47, after Peter won Cornelius and his house to the Lord, he says, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And it says, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Why did he command them to get baptized? Because there was evidence that they had trusted Christ as their Savior. Even the Ethiopian eunuch he says, what doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip spoke and he said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Then he took him down and baptized. See, you got to believe right. You believe to get saved. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You've got to believe right. Then you get baptized. Now, the Bible does not record everybody's baptism in the New Testament that got saved. It records a number of them from the 3,000 on the day of Pentecost that got saved and baptized. The Samaritans got saved under the preaching of Philip in Acts chapter 8. Uh, they got saved after, or got baptized after they believed. You've got Cornelius, you've got Lydia Thyatira in chapter 16. You've got the jailer, the Philippian jailer, also in Acts chapter 16. We've got a number of references of people who got saved and then they got baptized. What we don't have anywhere in the New Testament is somebody getting baptized uh, without getting saved. And I'll tell you something else we don't have. We don't have anybody in the New Testament who refused to get baptized after they got saved. It's not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Somebody says, but preacher, if I got saved now, I'd probably lose it and just have to get saved again. So I'm just going to wait till the end. Matter of fact, I was visiting just outside of Fiery Gizzard Cove over by South Pittsburgh. I was up in Sweetens Cove, and there was an old man there. I went through the plan of salvation and showed him how to get saved. And I said, now, wouldn't you like to get saved? And he said, no. He says, there's no sense. He says, because if you break apart, you break the whole. If you break apart, you break the whole. So I know I'll break the law again. I'll lose it, and I have to get saved again. I said, but you can't lose it once you get it. Why? It's eternal life. 
How long is eternal? If you die and go to hell, it means you didn't have eternal life. Which means you need to get born again. But I believe the words of Jesus. I believe they're very, very plain. In John chapter 10, beginning verse 27, he said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. Now, that's really clear. But what an excellent time for Jesus to say, But if you mess up, I'll take it away from you. He says, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man's able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Now that's clear. Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 37, All the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me, get this, I will in no wise cast out. You come to Jesus, he won't cast you out. In no wise, for any reason. You come to Jesus, man. That's secure. You get saved. It is forever, thank the Lord. What a marvelous Savior. In John chapter 5 and verse 24, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, now get this, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. So don't tell me you can lose it and have to get saved over again. It cannot happen. Jesus said it cannot happen. I'm not going to call Jesus a liar, and I'm shocked that anybody would want to. He promises an eternal life salvation. Now, I've heard people say this. They said, preacher, when God draws me, then I'll get saved. I'm not saved because God has not drawn me. Now, I want you to look at these verses. Go over to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. By the way, it sounds like something that a Calvinist might say. He doesn't draw everybody. But then they call God a liar in a number of different ways. Here's one way they do it as well. For instance, notice beginning in verse 1 of John chapter 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him, who, the word, and that word, by the way, is Jesus Christ. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now get this. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light. John wasn't the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light. Now, look at this. That lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Now, do you get that? Yes, man may be totally depraved, but there's not a man that's come into the world that the light of Jesus Christ hadn't shined on. So they may be totally depraved, but he has shined on them. Wait, that's not all. Go over to chapter 12. Chapter 12 and look at verse 32. Clear statement by the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm giving you time. John chapter 12, verse 32. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, 
will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. So he was going to be lifted up. Was he? He was. All right. If he was lifted up, then what does it say? He said, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Notice, will draw how many? All. What does all mean? All. All men unto me. So his light has shined on everybody and, his, and he's been lifted up. So he draws all men to him. But it's as many as received him to them give you power to become the sons of God. You see, Calvinists, they don't like that. Because they don't think, they think God only draws those who are the elect. He drawn all men. All men are responsible. You die without Jesus, it's your fault. Not his fault. Nobody dies lost because God wouldn't let him get saved. After all, again, Jesus said, All the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. So you see, when people make, I've just gone through a number of random statements that people make, and they're all phony. They're only showing their biblical ignorance and stupidity. And unfortunately, it is that ignorance that will keep them on the road to hell, and they will burn forever because of it. By the way, I've got two more pages of notes here about the spiritual ignorance of the saved. Yeah, I don't have time. Yeah, Larry looks hungry. Ah, maybe I'll give that tonight along with what else I was going to bring because we can stay forever at night. Amen? Yeah, the three of you will stay, I know. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Dear God, deal with hearts. Whether it's somebody watching over the Internet right now or somebody seated here in this auditorium that's never truly gotten this matter settled, they've given all kinds of excuses for why they're not going to make that decision for Christ. Excuses that somehow they think will intervene for them. And they'll be the exception to what you said in the word of God, and they will not. I pray you'd convict them of their sin. I pray you'd convict them powerfully today. Show them there's no excuse they can give to stay lost that'll keep them out of hell. They need Jesus Christ today. May they come to him, I pray. And Lord, for us who are believers, even though I've not preached so much to believers today at all, dear God, those areas where we say some really just some false stuff that we ought to know better and we would if we were really students of the word of God. Have your way in every life today, I pleaded in Jesus' name.